Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the fifth episode of Civil War Joe. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. And today we'll be talking about the first Battle of Manassas, which took place on July 21st, 1861. So the Civil War is just getting underway. Uh, there are two battles of Manassas, Virginia. Uh, the second one took place in August of 1862. It was a lot bigger, a lot more casualties. Uh, but the first one gets, I guess, more attention because uh, it, 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 was, it was the first that happened a few months after Fort Sumter. But before we get into Manassas, I'd like to make a correction to something I said last episode when we were talking about the Battle of Franklin, uh, John Bell Hood, I said he lost his left leg at Chickamauga in the Battle of Chickamauga 1860, in uh, September 1863. He lost his right leg. He lost the use of his left arm at Gettysburg. And then a, a couple months later at Chickamauga, he completely lost his right leg. And I said left leg last episode. So I apologize. But to get into... Uh, the first battle of Manassas. Uh, the Union general for this battle was Irvin McDowell, and the Confederate generals were PGT Beauregard and Joe Johnston. And this was one of the few occasions the Confederacy out, actually outnumbered the Union in a battle. It didn't happen often, uh, this, but this was one of the occasions. Occasions the Confederacy had thirty-two thousand. 230 uh, soldiers, and the Union had 28,450. So after Fort Sumter was fired upon, fired upon in Charleston in April of 1861, Lincoln called for 75,000 troops, but way more enlisted, and troops started to gather in and around Washington, D.C., some even bringing their families. And uh, both sides... In the Civil War, the soldiers were afraid that there the people who enlisted were afraid that they wouldn't make it to wherever the first battle was going to take place in time because they thought there's going to be a one and done where the one battle, big battle decides everything, and then they can return home in glory on the respective side. And obviously, that wasn't the case because this uh, war went on for four bloody years. So, all over the country, soldiers were saying goodbye to their families, thinking they were going to come back, come back heroes on their respective sides. One thing Southerners underestimate about, underestimated about the Northern troops was their patriotism. They thought, Southerners thought that they were going to be more passionate about this war uh then they were they were wrong one thing the southerners did not recognize was a lot of the northern troops were immigrants from other countries who came to america for the american dream and they were trying to better themselves and their families and they're willing to fight and die for that so um i think i saw a statistic that said one in every five um union soldiers were immig- from immigrants from other countries so um that's one thing Southerners definitely underestimated. Uh, one thing to keep in mind on this in this battle was both sides were pretty much dressed the same in a blue uniform. 
usually people think of the Confederates dressed in a gray or like a butternut kind of uh, color. But in this battle, usually, or I'm sorry, it people were pretty much dressed in blue, uh, with a few exceptions. One being a New York regiment, uh, the New, New York, uh, the New York Suaves, which were made up of firemen, and they wore red uh, to stand out. But they were they were flashy, but they're very undisciplined. And a little bit more more about them later. Um, neither side was properly trained th at this point. This, this was this. They were not trained like they were a, a couple a couple years later. They were not fighting machines. And the Union General McDowell, he he knew it, and he did not want to attack yet. But McDowell got pressure from Lincoln, who got pressure from his peers politically to to do something, get the army in motion to attack, thinking one big battle and one big victory could squash the, the Southerners' rebellion cause. So on July 16th, 1861, McDowell marched 35,000 troops towards Manassas, Virginia, which is 25 miles, roughly 25 miles from Washington, D.C. And... It, it was, it's important because the railroads, they, were, they had a, a junction there with the um, railroads, so that's why it was important. Uh, for the Confederacy, the eastern half of Virginia was protected by Beauregard and the western half protected by Joe Johnston. Uh, at, at this time, there was no West Virginia. West Virginia did not become a state until 1863. Uh, so at this, in 1861, Virginia was a lot bigger than it is today. So, uh, like I said, in 1863, West Virginia became a state, but at this time, it was a lot more ground to cover. So Joe Johnson was in the Shenandoah Valley, facing uh, a Union general named Robert Patterson, who was 69 years old. And Joe Johnston kind of outmaneuvered, or he, he kind of tricked Patterson into believing that he was still there. And Johnston eventually had his troops go by train towards Manassas, and the first this was the first time that troops went by train to a, a to a, a battle in war. So on July seventeenth, uh, they were skir skirmishing at, at Blackburn's Ford along the Bull Run. Oh, and so this speaking of Bull Run, so this is. Battle was sometimes called Bull Run and Manassas. The Union throughout the war usually call battles by the nearest body of water, and the Confederacy called it by the nearest town. So that's why this battle was sometimes referred to Bull Run and Manassas. Same thing with like Stones River and Murfreesboro, um, Sharpsburg, Antietam. So the Union would call battles by the nearest body of water, the Confederacy by the nearest town. So anyone July 17th at Blackburn's Ford along the Bull Run, there was a small skirmish. It was inconclusive, but it did cause McDowell to re reverse his attack plan and require three more days of planning. So meanwhile, the, 
Confederate troops led by Johnston were coming via train, um, leaving the Shenandoah Valley towards Manassas. Then on July 20th, both sides knew when they went to bed that night, there was going to be a battle on the 21st and that their lives were going to change, but they were very eager thinking this is their shot of glory. They can, after this retire heroes, they, they fought in this big battle, not knowing that it would go on a lot longer. So at 2.30 a.m. on the morning of the 21st, McDowell ordered a night march, which is which was extremely difficult. And by the time the Union troops got to the battlefield, they were already they, they've already been marching for days. So hundreds of spectators came to watch this battle. They brought picnic baskets. This, this was a Sunday. This battle took place. So this was their Sunday afternoon entertainment. And it is true that they came to watch these spectators thinking that they were going to win this great one and only battle of this war. But Hollywood over the years has kind of dramatized how many civilians and how close they got. They never got close enough to where they were in any danger. So at 10 a.m., the Union strike first, having 10,000 troops attack Matthews Hill and overwhelming the Confederacy. Now that both sides were seeing the true cost of war with their their comrades who they've been preparing with and just ate ate with the night before, and now it's really starting to hit them that what could be waiting for them if, when they when they charge a certain position. Uh, so speaking of casualties and everything, the reason that there were so many casualties and deaths during the Civil War was because the technology was way, way ahead of the tactics. And especially later on in the war, the Union troops were using repeating rifles, which they could fire more rapidly than anything that's used before. And the tactics that both sides were Union were still... both sides were using, I'm sorry, were the Napoleon style tactics to where the soldiers were lined up shoulder to shoulder trying to attack a hill or position. And with these repeating rifles, they were just shooting into a wall of flesh and bone. And that's why the casualties were so high during the Civil War. And this estimated for years and years that the total number of casualties during the war, 620,000. But now it's with more research, they're thinking it's 750,000, maybe approaching 800,000. So at this point where the union had the Confederates outnumbered 10 to one, McDowell shows up on the battlefield declaring victory, thinking he won. But the the rebels kept fighting and they bought valuable valuable time. So from they, they bought time basically from like noon to two PM. McDowell made the mistake of letting his foot off the gas pedal and letting the Confederacy buy time. 
at this time, Johnson's men started arriving to the fight via train, and a little-known general at the time named Thomas Jackson showed up. And now the fighting has been kind of moved from Matthews Hill to Henry Hill. And uh, there's a uh, Confederate general named Bernard B., who would be mortally wounded during this battle and had a horrific death. And he, he ended up dying the next day. But they were falling back uh, at the, uh, the Henry Hill. And so as B stood on, on top of, the, of Henry Hill, he looked back and saw his West Point classmate, General Thomas Jackson, and B yelled out, there stands Jackson like a stone wall. And that's how Thomas Jackson became Stonewall Jackson. And it's debatable if he meant that as a compliment or an insult. But either way, Thomas Jackson did save the day for the Confederacy, uh, taking a stand. And Stonewall Jackson is fascinating to learn about. He was a devout Christian who would not mail a letter if he knew it was going to be in route on a on a Sunday, even even though a lot of the big battles took place on Sundays, and they would his nickname was another nickname was I think old Blue Light or Blue Eyes, to where his eyes would light up in battle, and he could separate killing the enemy with devout Christianity, but he was fat. He, he is fascinating to learn about, but this battle is where his legend really took off. So now Union troops were now charging Henry Hill, but they could not, could not see from the valley all the Confederate troops uh, making a charge, and they did not see how many Confederate troops were there with the reinforcements. So McDowell brought out the Union cannons and came within roughly 200 yards of the Confederate line, where Jackson's men started taking cover, and they, but and their position was way too strong, and they repulsed the Union attack. And then the first men, the first men running from the uh, battlefield for the Union with the New York Swabs, the firefighters who were, I guess, not as tough as they thought they were. And then the red pants started running back towards D.C. And at this point, it's just chaos, especially with a lot of soldiers on both sides in blue uniforms. Uh, a good example was Union General Charles Griffin. He thought he saw a Confederate line advancing towards him and wanted to open fire. But his, his superior said, no, that's your own men who I ordered to come help and offer battery support. And both of those uh, lines started firing on each other, either on the same side, until they realized that they're on the same side. So just, just that's just an example of how chaotic this battle was. And then finally, McDowell committed one, McDowell committed one final blunder. He sent in just one regiment at a time instead of a full brigade 
So he used up his army quickly and by 4 p.m. The Union had no more regiments left. The Union soldiers started fleeing back to Washington, D.C., where they passed the civilians who came to watch. While retreating, the Confederate soldiers blew up a brigade. I'm sorry, they, they blew up a bridge. The Union needed to get across the river and caused some of the Union troops to swim across the river, which would have been a fascinating sight to see. And then when Lincoln started seeing the Union troops hurrying back that Sunday evening into Monday morning, he his quote was, it's bad, it's damn bad. So the nation is realizing after this, this might not be decided in one in one battle. At the end of the day, the Confederate soldiers held the 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 line on the battlefield that could declare a, a big victory. So the casualty numbers for this battle for the Union had two thousand eight hundred ninety six casualties with four hundred sixty killed. The Confederates had 1,982 casualties with 387 killed. Later in the Civil War, this would have not, be, not have been considered a big, big battle uh, if you can compare it to Shiloh or Gettysburg or Chickamauga or Spotsylvania. Um, but at the time, this was an eye-opener for the country that this war is what is going to be as innocent as it seemed to be at first. Uh, so the Henry Hill house, or I'm sorry. Yeah. The Henry Hill house, uh, which later on the battle became the hot spot for fighting. There was a house owned by Judith Henry, who was a, an 85 year old widow. And she, she couldn't get out of bed and able to, she was unable to leave the house. Well, she was mortally wounded when she, she got struck with a Union projectile that uh, came through her bedroom wall and tore off, tore off one of her uh, feet. She, and she's buried to this day right outside the house. And I believe that, as far as we know, that's the only civilian casualty during this, this battle. Another interesting place on the Manassas battlefield to visit at the Stone House. It's located in the valley between the Henry Hill, between Henry Hill and Matthews Hill. It served as a field hospital for both battles of Manassas, and it's a very neat place. Inside, it's still visible, is on one of the floor panels or floorboards. Uh, some of the soldiers carved their name into into the floor, which is still visible today. Uh, to fast forward to the early 1990s, Disney wanted to build a park right by the Manassas Battlefield within five or ten miles, I think. And they were very close to breaking ground, but then they pulled off the last minute when historians started a campaign against it, saying Mickey Mouse wanted to was trying to decimate hollow ground. So thankfully at the last minute, they pulled out because if you visit this park, it had the first and second battles uh, 
covered there. Uh, but it's a very interesting place to visit. Um, and I would, uh, that pretty much sums up the first battle of Manassas. Like I said, the second battle is more complicated. Uh, I think it took place over two days. It, uh, for the Confederacy, it was Robert E. Lee. And for the Union, uh, General was John Pope. And it was a second battle was just as big as Confederate victory. But it was, like I said, it was a lot bigger, a lot more troops involved, more casualties. But the first battle gets more attention just because it was the first battle. So thank you for listening. Next episode will be about U.S. Grant and specifically his time during the Civil War. We'll get into a little bit maybe of his presidency and his early life, but I want to get the story out of why he was so effective during the Civil War, um, where so many Union generals before him failed, and why Grant was always Lincoln's ace up his sleeve, I guess to say. But, and how everyone, the Union general, especially in the East, or in the Eastern theater, were afraid of Robert E. Lee, Robert e. Lee and Grant was not. So it's a fascinating story of how he started a little, well, little known when the Civil War broke out. And he worked his way up through the Western theater and had the, the decisive victories of uh, Fort Henry, Fort Donaldson, Chattanooga, Vicksburg, and he worked his way up eventually and got promoted to general, overall general of the the Union and faced off, faced against, faced off against Lee in Virginia and eventually brought the war to, to an end at Appomattox. But uh, that'll be next episode, and I really appreciate everyone listening uh and see you next time